I'm going to introduce a young man here in a second who has officially been here for six Sundays, I believe, today. And so he is no longer a visitor. He is no longer just um, a part of our church. He's family. And so I want you guys to give it up for Pastor Dallas. And Pastor Dallas, if you would come up here. If you have not gotten the opportunity yet to meet this man or to shake his hand or to get to know him, I encourage you to do that quickly. He, um, I love his personality. I love his, um, his love for people, and I love his heart for Jesus. And so we just love you, and I am excited to hear what you have to say this morning. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you, buddy. Thank you, Pastor. You smell nice. Thank you. You're welcome. That was weird. I didn't mean to smell my pastor. Okay. Good way to start, I guess. Well, good morning. Everybody sleep well. If you didn't, I'm sorry. Look at your neighbor and say, good morning. Pleasure to be with you this morning. Look at your other neighbor, if you got one, and say, if I don't know you, pleasure to meet you. So, if uh, Brandon, Pastor Brandon's already covered it. Pastor Josh called me this morning as well and said, hey, can you preach this morning? I said, yes, sir. I texted him last night and said, hey, if you don't make it back in time, just let me know. And... Um, after a 30-hour drive, they didn't make it back. So, and Pastor Josh, if you're listening online, the Lord says go to bed. So you can, uh, you can watch the, the, you can watch it back. You and Tiffany need to get some sleep. So anyways, good morning. I wasn't here last week either. Emily and I and Simi, we were at a church camp in Virginia, and we had a blast, and we got back yesterday at noon. Can I teach y'all a lesson about something? If you're a young parent, I learned a lesson this weekend be a fun way to start service, okay? So uh, Emily and I were in Virginia. It's a 14 and a half hour drive, okay? So we decided to drive halfway and go to Nashville. So we stopped in Nashville for the night, and I, I had a, like a, uh, some points to get a nice hotel room. So I was like, ooh, babe, I got a nice hotel room for us. We're staying in the Marriott in downtown Nashville. I'm so thankful, you know. So we get our hotel room. Nothing goes bad. There's a room for us. We get in there, have dinner. We sleep, you know, we go to bed, we sleep. And um, around 2 a.m., my daughter coughs like twice. And then um, she wakes up and she's like, she can't, you know, she didn't speak words yet. She's little if you haven't met her. She just starts talking. And um, she didn't go back to bed at 2 a.m., so uh, at, at 4 a.m., we said, forget this, let's just go ahead, and be- let's go ahead and drive the Joplin. So we got back yesterday at noon. So what's the story? Save the nice hotels for your spouse. If your kid's with you, just get the one that's safe. You don't need the nice one, okay? That's what I learned this weekend. So that'd be a fun way to make you giggle this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And as you can tell, again, I'm not Pastor Josh, and Pastor Josh is really sad he's not here. So he will be here Wednesday, and he's very excited to see you all. So if you got your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And if you're a note taker, here's the title of the message today. Lord, I sinned. Everybody say, Lord, I sinned. And look at your neighbor and say, how did you know? And look at your other neighbor and say, who told you? Let's pray. Lord, help us confess our sins and get aligned with your spirit. 
In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12 today. And before I read, I'm going to read the majority of the chapter. I like to read scripture, and I, read it, I like to read it with enthusiasm, because the scriptures are fun to read. So, but we're going to start, and I'm going to explain what's happening in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David has just become king a few chapters earlier. God has just made a covenant with David. What does that mean? God says, hey, I promise you that someone in your family is going to reign forever. Someone will sit on the throne for all the time. And that person from David's family was eventually who? Jesus, the Messiah. So praise God. So we got King David. God has just made a covenant with David. And then everything's kind of going good. Israel's prospering. They're blessed. They're having a good time. And then, uh, and then it's time for war. Springtime, time for war. And King David's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm having a good time. Life's good. I'm going to stay home, eat some snacks. I'm just going to relax a little bit. So he stays home. He doesn't go out to war when he's supposed to. And um, this is when he commits his adultery with Bathsheba. So he's at home. He sees Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. He's like, oh, snap. What's the best thing I can do? Oh, I'll just kill her husband. So um, he devises this plan. He kills her husband. And then you're like, what's happening? Right? So this is where we're going to pick up. So that's the context of what's happening. Let's start to read. So uh, if I have to take any pauses to drink water, which I will, for the awkward silence, just say hi to your neighbor or, you know, Take a note or something. Does that work? So here we go. We're going to practice. I'm going to take a drink of water, say something to your neighbor. Is that cool? All right, go for it. It's it's better than just hearing me gulp. I'm a gulper. Starting in verse, chapter 11, verse 26. Here we go. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning passed, David had brought her to his palace. She became his wife and she bore him a son. But what David had done had upset the Lord. Chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to David, Nathan said, Hey, listen, David. There are two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing for a little lamb that he acquired. He raised it. He grew up along, it grew up alongside him, his children. He used it to eat his food, drink from his cup, and sleep in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. When a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, he did not want to use one of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler who had come to visit him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb, cooked it for the man who had come to visit him. Then David became very angry at the man. He said, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. Because he committed this cold-hearted crime, he must pay for the lamb four times over. Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel has said. David, I chose you to be king over Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and put your master's wives into your arm. I also gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if somehow that seems insignificant, I would have given you so much more. Why have you shown contempt for the Lord's decrees by doing what was evil in my sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your own. 
You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So now, the sword will never depart from your house, for you have despised me by taking the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own. This is what the Lord has said. I'm about to bring disaster on you from the inside of your own household. Right before your eyes, I will take your wives and hand them over to your companion. He will go to bed with your wives in broad daylight. Although you have acted in secret, I will do this thing before all Israel in broad daylight. We're going to pause for one minute. And if you could throw the key verse for the day up on the slides, this is what it says. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then David exclaimed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied to David, yes, and the Lord has forgiven your sin. You are not going to die. Verse 14. Nonetheless, You have treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter. The son who has been born to you will certainly die. Then Nathan went to his home. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and the child became very ill. Then David prayed to God for the child, and he fasted. He would even go on and spend hours in the night laying on the ground. The elder of his house stood around him and tried to lift him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and refused to eat food with them. On the seventh day, so David's been mourning for seven days. Verse 18. On the seventh day, the child died. But the servants of David were afraid to inform him that the child had died. For they said, while the child was still alive, he would not listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He will do harm to himself. When David saw that his servants were whispering to one another, he realized that the child was dead. So David asked his servants, is the child dead? They replied, yes, he's dead. So David got up from the ground, he bathed, he put on oil, and he changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then when he entered into his palace, he requested that food be brought to him, and he ate. Verse 21 as we wrap up the reading of Scripture. His servant said to him, what is this that you have done? While the child was still alive, you fasted and wept. Once the child was dead, you got up and ate food. He replied, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept because I thought perhaps the Lord will show pity and the child will live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Am I able to bring him back from the dead? I will go to him, but he cannot return to me. So David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He came to her and went to bed with her. Later she gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved the child and sent word to Nathan the prophet that he should be named Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. And the people of God said, Amen. We got five points today. If you can go to the next slide, and we'll just stick there for a while. We got five points. I'm going to try to keep this real simple, okay? So we have the sin, the confrontation, the confession, the consequence, and the restoration. Everybody say number one. The sin. What is sin? Simply put, it's disobeying God and his word. Okay? Disobeying God and his word. Really simple. So what did David do? Well, David did a lot of things. (laughs) Did quite a few. Okay? So David, 
he, uh, he, he saw that Bathsheba, he saw Bathsheba and he coveted her. He wanted, so he committed the sin of coveting. So he saw her, he's like, oh, I want her. He sent somebody to get her and he went and got her and then he had sex with her. And he committed, which he committed adultery with her, right? And then he's like, wow, she's pregnant. That's not good. What am I going to do? Oh, I should kill Uriah. Great idea. So he does. And then to wrap it all up, he hides it. And within that year, it's interesting. So David commits this sin, and then for a whole year, things are quiet. It was a whole year before the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him. A whole year, like 365 days. That's a long time to be having this on your mind. If you read Psalm 32, Psalm 51, they're very depressing psalms. And this is what David wrote during that time. So for a whole year, he ran this over in his mind. He meditated basically on his sin day and night, and he just couldn't stop for a whole year. And then finally, God sends this, sends this prophet to confront him. A few months ago, someone came to me and they asked, Hey, Dallas, can I ask you a question? Well, you already asked one, ask another. So they asked this question. And they said, Hey, Dallas, can sin make me depressed and angry? And I said, yes, absolutely. King David, for a whole year, he refused to confess his sin, and he was depressed. He was very anxious, very paranoid, and very suicidal. And then this person proceeded to tell me that there had been this sin, that they were habitually sinning for years, and they had refused to confess it to God or confess it to anybody else. And it was eating them alive because they were snapping at people for no reason. They were depressed all the time, and they were just so alarmed in their mind, wow, this can cause me to be like this? Let me tell you, my friend, sin can make you very depressed and angry. It really can. It, 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 if you just sit in it, for example, when my, here's a good thing. Ready? Let me give this example. When my wife and, and I found out we were pregnant for the first time, it was very difficult to keep it quiet. A few weeks ago, when my, my wife was making a post on Facebook, if you saw it, Raina's laughing already. Go ahead and laugh. My wife was making this post on Facebook, and everybody's like, what's going on? She was trying to get everybody to look at the post. Everybody's like, what's going on? Tell us. It was very funny. People were losing their mind. And that was a good thing. That was a good thing to hide. Sin is not a good thing to hide. For a whole year, David hid this, and it ate him alive. It ate at his soul. Sin, unconfessed sin, can make you very depressed, very anxious, and very suicidal. And it will eat at your soul day and night. So David rejected this healthy conviction from the Lord, and he lived and condemnation, and guilt and shame for a whole year. Anybody know what guilt and shame is? Here's the difference. The healthy conviction, hey, hey David, you have sinned. Come back to me. I'll forgive you of your sins. That's a good conviction. Can we agree on that? The word conviction, we get confused. It's a good thing, okay? Condemnation doesn't come from God. But David willingly lived in condemnation, feeling guilt and shame for what he'd done for a whole year, and it almost killed him. So everybody say, number one, the sin. Number two, the confrontation. It wasn't until this random guy, Nathan, this prophet, came to him that he was confronted with his sin. 
So Nathan, Nathan is this prophet of Israel. Na- prophets speak on God's behalf in the Old Testament. They're still prophets now, but they're very prevalent in the Old Testament. So this, this guy comes to him. He's like, hey, hey David, we got a rich guy, got a young guy. We got a problem. We got to fix it. Here we go. Lewis, come here. Ronnie, come here. Sorry. Who wants to be the rich man? All right, Richie. Great job. This will be our lamb today. Does that work? Hold your sanitizer. Thanks so much. So you got a rich man and you got a poor man. Nathan's like, hey, Dave, we've got a problem here in Israel. We've got to fix it. Okay? So we got this poor man. He has one lamb. He has one lamb. Very nice lamb. It's all he has. And he takes care of it. He loves it. It's always with him. And, this is, and you gave it to him, and he really, he really takes care of it. You love that? He loves it. Goodness gracious. Woo, I can feel it how much he loves it. Then we got a rich man, big bags over here, and he has hundreds of lambs, hundreds of, hundreds of cattle. It's all right. You can share. And uh, you, have, you have all this. I, I, I don't even have enough to give you. Every, you know, I, I'd have to give you thousands. So this rich man has so much and he has a good friend to come in town, and the logical thing would do, hey, I'll just kill one of my thousands, and I'll, you know, I'll prepare it for him. But the rich man goes, nah, forget Lewis. Hey, man, go take it from him. And then act sad. Wow, he's so sad. Mm, what a shame. So the rich man takes it, he slaughters it, and prepares it for his friend. Just like that. It happened just like that. And Nathan's like, we got a problem. What you going to do? Y'all go ahead and sit down. Thank you so much. Give it up for them. That was great. The facial expressions were on par. So Nathan, we got a problem. What are we going to do? And David's like. He's like, who did it? Who was it? Whoever it is, I'm going to get them. You know what? They deserve death. Nathan's like, ooh, you sure? He deserves death. And then the famous line, hey, David, Ronnie, you are that man. Boom. And David's like, huh? He, he was, he was. He was, oh, he was talking about me. <laughs> mm. Oops. And he just said he deserves to die. He's like, he's probably getting hot and sweaty like I am in this jacket right now. You are that man. It's you, David. God sees your sin. He's exposed you. Then God speaks very candidly with David about his sin and what we'll talk about, the consequences of sin. This is what God is basically saying to David. Let me sum it up in words that make more sense to us, maybe. Hey, David, you're a man after my own heart. You are literally the king of Israel. I've given you everything that you would ever need and ever want, and I was going to give you more. Why would you do this? You love me. Many think confrontation is a bad thing. If you've got problems with somebody, you've got beef with somebody, you don't want to confront it. It's just uncomfortable, right? 
Anybody don't like confronting stuff in here? I'm a peacemaker, so sometimes I don't. You can raise your hand. Be honest, otters, okay? Be honest with me. This was the absolute most loving thing that God could have done for David. Not a more loving thing. God confronting David's sin was the absolute most definition of God's character. Hey, David, I'm willing to send a prophet. We're going to tell you this random story. And we're going to expose your sin of everything you've done before Israel, all because I love you. (laughs) That's love. Now, this is what God could have done. He could have said, oh, David messed up all these times. Forget him. Trash. Throw him out. But he didn't. He was willing to confront David so that David could be reconciled with him. Anybody see the gospel? This was the most loving thing. Now, now, Pastor Brandon, I'm assuming this week, if you sinned against your wife or you got mad or whatever, let's say you did, God's probably not going to send me to your house in Carl Junction to tell you a parable. He might. Anybody ever had a random person come tell a parable to them? Anybody? I like interaction. I'm sorry. Anybody ever had a random? I would love to know because I'd love to talk to you. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who confronts us with this stuff. The Holy Spirit. So right now, as we're working through what happened to David, you might start to have this feeling in you, the Holy Spirit's confronting you because God loves you about a sin in your life or something that's happened to you. And you see, like I said, confrontation's a good thing. So if Jesus never confronted any demon, they would have never been cast out, right? If Jesus was never willing to lay his hands on a leopard, which you don't do, they would have never been healed. And if God was never willing to confront the sin that entered into humanity, Jesus would have never came, and we would be forever pushed away from God with no chance. So thank God for confrontation. Amen? So we got the sin. Then God confronts the sin. Then here comes the high point of this whole thing. Everybody say the confession. Now this is that point in the sermon where I'm going to take a drink of water... (laughs) And you just say hi to your neighbor. Ready? Go. Thank you very much. I did that with the kids last week at camp, and it was not a good idea. I said talk to your neighbor. It was like five minutes later. I'm like, guys, just, it was like two words. You only had to say the confession, number three. So here's the beautiful part. You're that man. God says a bunch of stuff. And David, what does he do? He doesn't deny it. Doesn't run. He did, but it, it, uh, she, she was taking a bath. and You know, she was beautiful. He didn't say anything. He just stood. Then he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Period. That's it. If you did it, don't run. If you did it, don't run. Ownership's not a bad thing either. It's a good thing. And David right here, he exemplifies, and he says some of the sweetest words to God's ears. Lord, I have sinned against you. Maybe that's all you need today. 
Lord, I've sinned against you. There's not a sweeter word to his, his ear. That's why he sent his son to become sin and die for you. So that one day, hopefully you would say, Lord, I have sinned against you. And the Lord says, yes. And what does he say next? Here's a beautiful thing. Look back at the passage. David confesses his sin. He admits all his wrongdoing. And then, he sa- and then Nathan says, yes. And the Lord has forgiven your sin, and you will certainly not die. Amen. The confession. Like I said, this is one of the primary reasons Jesus came. Let me read this passage to you in 1 John 1, 9, 2 and 2. Because I know somebody here or some people here have this idea that every time you sin, you think you're a sinner again. You're not. If you belong to Jesus, if you trust in him, and he's given you his Holy Spirit, you're not a sinner. He calls you a what? A saint. The Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. And this is what it says in 1 John 1, 9. This might just set you free right here. Ready? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who sits in the mercy seat like we were singing this morning, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but the whole world. Here's the point. If you belong to Jesus and you confess your sins, he forgives you. His blood covers you. Amen. Like I was talking to someone last night on the phone. They said, I was so mean today. Urgh. You know, they growled. I was so mean today. I was mean to my husband. I was mean to my mom. And I was like, and they were like, I just feel like garbage. I was like, why? You're righteous. His blood covers you. You don't have to feel like that anymore. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your righteousness. It's like this. It works like this, okay? It's in in John 16. The Holy Spirit convicts us of unbelief, righteousness, and judgment. So what's the righteousness mean? What does that even mean, Dallas? This is what it means. So, Sean, if you sin and the Holy Spirit confronts and convicts you, this is basically what the Holy Spirit is saying. Give me a sin. What did you do? You stole the cookies. You look like you would steal the cookies. He stole Brandon's cookies. How dare you, okay? You stole Brandon's cookies. The Holy Spirit confronts you and convicts you. This is what he does, and then I'll say what he does not do, okay? Ready? He says, hey, 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 Brandon? Not Brandon. Hey, Sean? Hey, you don't do that. You're righteous. You don't have to steal. I'll provide for you. You don't do that. You're righteous. You don't have to do that. You're not a sinner anymore. That's what he does. He convicts you of your righteousness. That's your identity. Now, this is what he does not do. Hey, 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 Sean, trash boy. Hey, you sinner. You stole his cookies. You're going to hell. Bye. My blood's not enough. I take it away. Bye. That's not what he does. Sorry, I'm just extra. I can't help it, okay? You're righteous. If you confess your sin and you belong to Jesus... You're going to hear the words, yes, and the Lord has forgiven you of your sins. You can keep coming to him. That's why First John said, if you sin, if you sin, 
Confess your sins because he's just and faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Amen? So we have the sin. We have the confrontation. And then the confession. One last thing on confession before we move on. This will be very helpful. So confession is a practice or a discipline that the church has been doing for a very long time. Now, like our Catholic brothers and sisters, they practice confession a little bit differently than us, okay? But here's the point of confession, so that we confess our sins to God, we he acknowledges them and he cleanses us of them, but here's the other part of James 5, write down James 5 if you're taking notes. The Lord encourages us to confess our sins to who? To one another. So, you're not in a small group, you're not a part of this community just for funsies. You're, we're not just here to sing songs on Sunday together. We live life together, right? So if you sin, you sin to, you, you confess to God, but you confess to one another because the scriptures say, if you confess to one another so that you may be healed. Because when we confess our sins to God and then we're vulnerable with one another and we confess, I don't care how old you are, how long you've been following Jesus, okay? If we confess our sins to one another, it helps us build the discipline and the vulnerability to stop sinning in that area. Like community and accountability is a good thing. So we not only confess to God, but we confess to one another. For example, when I was in college, many of y'all have already heard my story. I've told it a few times. I was really struggling with the addiction to pornography, and it was just hard to beat. But I lived in this apartment at college with these guys, and the apartment was 207, and we got in trouble a lot for being loud, okay? Really good time, though. And I had these three guys, and we all made a pact together. Hey, we're all struggling with this, so we can either all just, like, like glory in our sin and just keep sinning, or anytime one of us sins, we're going to confess to one another. So guess what we did? We did that. Within six months, we'd all had been free from the addiction. Amen. So what's the, so what's the encouragement? Maybe you, we just haven't practiced confessing our sins to one another. I encourage you to do so. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time where we can practice that. We confess to God and we confess to others. That's the way God heals us. You can't just confess to him and then just walk alone. Like, the church is the way God ministers to one another, through us. And Lewis, if I tell him, hey, I was really mean to my wife, I stole her cookies or whatever, he's not going to beat me over the head. If I know Lewis, and he knows the word, hey man, hey, God loves you, you're righteous. Let me help you, let me pray with you, let me walk through you with this. That's why community's there. So number one, we got to sin. Number two, the confrontation. Number three, the confession. Number four, the consequence. Hey, we got to talk about this one too, okay? I mean, David sinned, and God, here's a good consequence. You've been forgiven. There was a bad consequence too, and that's just the way it is. For example, if I murder somebody, God will forgive me, but I'm going to prison. That's the way it works. So this is what happens to David, okay? So David confesses his sin. God forgives him of his sin, and he says, you will not die, meaning you will not die spiritually from me, which happened. God never left David, and, and David didn't die physically at that moment, which was great. God could have just struck him down and been just doing so. 
But God also said, there's some consequences. Number one, the baby that you had, it's going to die. Number two, you're always going to be at war. You will never be a man of peace. And number three, before I forget, your wives are going to be taken away and be given to other people. And guess what happens, y'all? All those things happen. Someone here is thinking, how could a good God kill a baby? Why would God's punishment be, hey, that child that you had, this, it, it would, the child uh, is going to die. And it died. Here's the thing. What I've learned about God, the few years I've been alive, and the few college classes I've taken, God is just. What does that mean? He's the only one who can declare justice, and it's actually justice. Because he's the only one who is righteous, and he is the only one who is holy. So if God's decree is, hey, the punishment is that this child is going to die, then it is a just punishment. Because that's his character. And there's always a consequence for our sin, and this was the consequence. Now, I'm going to pause right here. I'm speaking to three audiences today within this audience. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, the chief sin that the Holy Spirit's confronting you about right now is the sin of unbelief. What does that mean? You don't believe in Jesus. That's the number one sin that you're committing against God, and he's convicting you to come to know him. Number two, second audience, if you know Jesus and you have a sin against him that you have hidden, he's confronting you so that you may be cleansed of your sin. Number three, I want everybody to listen real well on this one. Maybe you haven't sinned. Maybe someone has sinned against you. And the consequence of their sin has put you in bondage for years. What do I mean by this? So there's this lady named Bathsheba in the story. Okay. So Bathsheba, she is a wife to Uriah. Uriah is off the war. He's fighting. And Bathsheba as was what she was supposed to do according to the law, she was basically taking her monthly menstrual bath, right? So she's on the roof, that's where the baths were, and she was taking a bath, cleansing herself. And David sees her, and David says, wow, I want her. She's not mine, but I want her. So he sends for somebody, and Bathsheba's brought to the palace, and David has sex with her. Now, some people will debate this topic from what I see in the scriptures, according to what I understand, David actually basically raped Bathsheba. David said, I want her, go get her. And if Bathsheba said anything against it, she would have been killed. He was the king. You can't, you can't go against the king's decree. Now, she could have and died, but she didn't. So David sins against her. He, he basically, he, he rapes her, and then she gets pregnant, and then her husband is murdered, and then the baby dies. That's not fair. Anybody agree? Can you imagine Bathsheba in this story? So why did I say that? Maybe you're here, and maybe you are living in bondage to a sin that someone did not confess, and the consequences that you've been in bondage. What does that mean? For example, maybe you were sexually abused as a child, and you now, your whole life has felt like trash, you have felt guilt, you have felt shame, and you feel like you are an undeserving of love. That's a real consequence. Holy Spirit's here today 
to help you begin with the healing process. So here at the end of service, if that's you, we're going to have some time of prayer. And I really encourage you, if the Holy Spirit's confronting you, don't, don't play around. All the songs this morning are lined up. Maybe, maybe as a kid, your parents got a divorce. And now, as you have grown up, now you feel like, hey, I'm undeserving of love. And even if I get married, I'm just going to be like my mom or dad. And, they're just, and we'll just get a divorce. This is a consequence of people's sins. Good and bad consequences when we sin. If I'm mean to my wife, if I steal the cookies, if I do something so terrible against her, God will forgive me. I know she will forgive me, but we might have to walk through some counseling. We might have to take some time apart. Whatever, we, There's going to have to be something for the consequence. So number one, we got the sin, the confrontation by the prophet or the Holy Spirit, the confession, the consequence or consequences, and we take ownership of our consequences again. Let me, before I go on, right? For example, if you have student loans, you got to pay them, right? You you sign the paper. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody's ever going to forgive them. We have to take ownership and pay them off. If you have sinned, if you have done something, you have to take ownership of it. And then let's get to the last point. Worship team, if you go ahead and come up, that would be wonderful. Number five is the restoration. Here is the beautiful part about this story. So David, so David sinned. A year later, Nathan confronts him. And then there's a confession of the sin. And Bathsheba's son had died. And David, after he hears that the son had died, he gets up off the floor, puts on new clothes, he puts on oil, and he goes to the house of the Lord to worship. So beautiful. He, he knew it was over. Hey, the Lord's not going to bring my son back. This is the consequence, and this is God's word. So he does the most appropriate thing, and he goes and puts his arms up and just cries out to God. Then after he's done worshiping, he goes home. He comforts his new wife, Bathsheba, because now she doesn't, because Uriah's dead. So now Bathsheba is David's wife. And they get pregnant. And not too long later, this man named Solomon is born. Anybody know King Solomon? Solomon goes on to be one of the greatest, richest, most wise, probably handsome too, you name it, the most and the bestest, that was Solomon. And eventually, through David and through Solomon, eventually Jesus would come. What's the point, Dallas? (gasps) The God I serve, he restores. Amen. David had sinned, and the the consequence he faced, but God didn't leave it like that. (laughs) He said, no, watch this. I'll put a baby in this lady's womb, and be the greatest king Israel's ever seen. You see, because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, we are sinners, right? We inherited that sin nature. But when we trust in Jesus, 
we become saints. We're born again. And God restores us. There's always restoration in the story of the gospel. It'll never be left out. So go ahead and stand with me this morning. So as we learn from this passage, there's a sin in our lives. There's a confrontation always. We can reject it or not. We can confess our sin. We can face the consequences. And then we can know that there will be restoration. Let me wrap up with this. At a point in my life, I was sinning against God habitually. He confronted me, and I said, Lord, I have sinned against you. I faced the consequences, like I just said a few minutes ago. It was really hard to get over some of the addictions I was in, but the Lord restored me. He, he cleansed me. He set me free. He gave me a wife that I did not deserve. He gave me a child who's debatably the cutest on earth come on and he's restored my life in a way I can't explain all because I was willing to be okay with the confrontation by the Holy Spirit so right now with your eyes closed I'm speaking to three different audiences like I said if you don't know Jesus the chief sin that you're sinning against God is that you don't believe in him the sin of unbelief and if that's you Today's your day. Prayer team, will you come down here as well, please? We're going to have a few moments, and we're just going to meet with God together. If you don't know Jesus, and you're like, I don't know him, but I need to get to know him, I need to come into a relationship with him, I'm going to ask you to come down here and confess it to one of our prayer workers. And then they're going to pray for you so that you may know Jesus. Number two, you know Jesus, but there's a sin that you've been hiding from him. Whatever it is, it might be unforgiveness. It might be some type of sexual sin. You might be dealing with money in a weird way. I don't care what it is. You know, and the Holy Spirit's confronting you, not because he hates you or he's shaming you, but because what? He loves you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to set you free so that you don't live in bondage to the sin that's inside you. And if that's you, I want you to come for prayer as well. And number three, if someone has sinned against you and the consequence is that you have been in bondage for years, feeling like a piece of trash, you feel so guilty, so shamed, like it was your fault, whatever it is, we want to pray for you so the Holy Spirit can start healing you and restoring you as well. People already coming down. So right now, if that's one of you three, is I pray, let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, give us the boldness to come before you right now. If, if we don't know you, you're confronting us. May we come before you and confess our sin and confess you as Lord. Lord, if we do know you, we do know if we come before you that you're going to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Give us the boldness to come before you. And Lord, if someone has sinned against us, whatever it is, that we'd come before you and confess it so that we may start the healing process. Lord, I thank you, I pray. Holy Spirit, come and heal. Come and restore as the scriptures show us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Come forth. Come pray.